Onomania is the term for the obsessive or uncontrollable urge to buy things. But how many people do you know would line up to see a film called Confessions of an Onomaniac? If you said you would, great. I've got some swamp land in Florida that may interest you. But either way, sit back and give your wallet a rest because we're about to prove to you that 2009's Confessions of a Shopaholic is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And I can tell you right now that my wife, Carrie, is getting so psyched for this one because we're talking 2009's Confessions of a Shopaholic. Carrie, I'm going to let you say hi because I know you can't contain yourself for this one. I am so excited. Um, I just have to know who stole my diary. And made it into a movie. <laughs> your your diary or your like you know confession your bet your deathbed confession like this is everything I've bought it's all under the closet uh, please sell it so you can pay for my funeral. Well, I like to collect receipts, so I have a nice little storybook every month of <laughs> why I'm always broke. The, as a joke. The Adventures of Carrie, also known as Confessions of a Shopaholic. <laughs> I like it. Right? Yeah, but the Adventures of Carrie, I mean, they would have had to pay me big bucks for that right. title. So. so now here's the interesting thing, because we have talked on this show about our, our loves for various authors. And, you know, we've already covered... One for the money, that you know, from the Janet Ivanovich series, and you have confessed your multiple bookshelves of Elmore Leonard books. And be cool, Ex- yeah, we covered be cool exactly. A nod to Elmore Leonard. So now we're going down a few shelves on the bookshelf to your Sophie Kinsella section. <laughs> so when you realize that, hey, you know, first of all, there's a movie that they made out of my Sophie Kinsella books. Well, your Sophie Kinsella books, definitely not mine. Guilty pleasure. <laughs> but the fact that the movie actually qualified for our show uh how much did you want to grab someone else's credit card and pay for the ass kicking for whoever downvoted this movie oh you know what the critics are cruel because this movie was fun it was on point with the book and how it was intended to be like really what were they expecting what like why like you, you almost have to think Leave that the critics alone. never read a Sophie Kinsella book uh, before going into the movie or more to the point, never read the book. Because let's be honest, the book is better than the movie. But that's a question that we're going to you know explore later on in the show. But before we do, we have to take Confessions of a Shopaholic. Do you know how hard it is that I'm, I'm sitting there not reminding myself saying not Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? Ooh, good movie. Good movie doesn't qualify. But this one does. So we're going to take Confessions of a Shopaholic, or a Dangerous Shopaholic, and trailerize it. One woman, armed with only a dozen credit cards, must fend off the advances of a series of increasingly aggressive and coercive mannequins. New York never seems so dangerous. Rebecca Bloomwood is a tragic fashion assassin with a debilitating lack of funds. But don't worry, because this definitely not finished financial failure has a plan to solve all her woes. Write one article only, filled with advice she never takes. Smack your editor around with the paper fan that he bought you, and wait for the next sale. Isla Fisher stars in a movie that begs the question, why didn't she just buy knockoffs? She's in New York. That crap's everywhere. Based on the Sophie Kinsella novels, it's Confessions of a Shopaholic. Ready Peachy for Prada and Gucci. Right? Like, <laughs> couldn't she find the dude with the Star Wars? <laughs> you have to explain the of... story. Okay. You cannot tee that up and not tell the story. <laughs> um, trip to New York, and uh, yeah, knockoffs are readily available on the streets of New York, um, but you have to find the dude with the Star Wars bedsheet full of 
knockoff coach bags. No word of a lie. Tell him I said hi. No word of a lie. Some rando dude on the streets of New York with a bunch of stuff in a old, dirty, crumpled up Star Wars bed sheet selling knockoffs. And we're like looking around the corners like we're doing a drug deal. Like, anyone looking? Anyone looking? No. Okay, give me the bag. Give me the bag. Lucky I didn't get arrested on the streets of New York. (laughs) You literally bought a purse like it was a drug deal. (laughs) That's pretty much how it felt. Uh, Okay, purses are my drug. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I guess kind of knockoffs are the gateway drug to the real thing. I have. um, I definitely have issues with her um, credit debt. Uh, because if she has a Gucci, which, and I quote, was worth every penny, um, she has how many credit cards? At Several. Least, you have to think at least a dozen credit cards. Do- a dozen credit cards, and her overall total debt was only sixteen thousand. I, I, I don't know. It was it was less than ten thousand. Oh, are you sure? I, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was like fifteen no, remember, and remember change. He said it was like no, they they raised fifteen thousand dollars at the end of the movie by selling all their stuff. By the way, spoilers. But no, uh, they were only looking for nine thousand some odd dollars and twenty five cents. Okay, I have a huge problem with that. Yeah, because I mean, just looking at not even in her closet of high end clothing, but if you were to total up the cash value of her outfit while she's walking on the street of New York wait, wait, hold with on. the Gucci bag. Hold on a second here. It Are you saying you were playing like fashion prices right while you were watching the movie? Oh, a thousand percent Manhattan once over was, <laughs> was in full effect. Oh dear God. Yeah. No, I mean, you know what? It, it is, it is absolutely impossible. It is impossible that she was only, Less than ten grand in debt. You're, you're like sitting there, like the end of Wheel of Fortune, going, "Okay, I'm going to take the Prada for seven hundred. All right, you like, have a ten thousand left, and I'm going to take the Gucci for two hundred. <laughs> Factual inconsistencies. That was the word I was searching for. Factual or financial inconsistencies. Both. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 break down who's in this film. Okay, it stars Isla Fisher, Hugh Dancy, Kristen Ritter, Joan Cusack, John Goodman, John Lithgow, Dame Kristen Scott Thomas, Fred Armisen, Leslie Bibb, Lynn Redgrave, Julie Haggerty, Wendy Malick, and credited as shoe store girl number two in only her second credited film role is Peyton List. Now, if you don't know who Peyton List is, she's currently in Cobra Kai, but she also appeared in Hubie Halloween. Was that the girl that she took out for the Gucci boots? No, that's not who she took out. She's just listed as shoe store girl number two. So, eh? Oh, maybe the one that was like, none of this is for sale. Possibly, quite possibly. But here's the thing, this movie hasn't almost starred. Now, this is a very successful novel series. There's zero question about that. Um, so they had quite the list of actresses that they were considering to play Rebecca Bloomwood. Here's the list, according to IMDb. Reese Witherspoon. I can see it. Jessica Alba. Jessica Biel. You're, you're mm. meh on yeah. that one. And Hathaway. Okay. But uh, The Devil Wears Prada. That right. would just, no. Can't do it. Emily Blunt. Ooh. Kristen, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Mm. Yeah. Katie Holmes. No. Rachel McAdams. Ah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Amanda Seyfried. Mm, who? Uh, really? <laughs> Oy. Oh, we got we got to work on this one. And Lindsay Lohan. Eh. Yeah. Eh. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see, I can see it, but I think they made a great choice. Mm-hmm. Now, apparently Reese Witherspoon did did turn the role down because she thought it would have been too similar to her role in Legally Blonde, which I can mm-hmm. kind of see, but Reese Witherspoon would have been a decent choice. Uh, and then there's the role of Derek Smith, as played by Robert Stanton. But it was originally cast to be played by Ed Helms, who played the guy who was in the, you know, Are You a Shopaholic DVD that Kristen Ritter got for uh, for uh, Isla Fisher. 
but scheduling conflicts came up and he couldn't play the role of Derek Smith. So he was, he basically filmed all his stuff in like one day of that, you know, instructional self-help DVD that Sue's got for, uh, for Rebecca. This was directed by PJ Hogan and there's some really, really good director credentials here on this one because he's probably best known for directing Muriel's Wedding, which starred Tony Collette and my best friend's wedding. Like, like that's a classic when it comes to rom-coms. Uh, here's the one that surprised me, though. This is produced of by all people, Jerry Bruckheimer. Like, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, like, Black Hawk Down. Like, Jerry freaking Bruckheimer did a rom-com. <laughs> Let me say that again. Jerry freaking Bruckheimer did a rom-com. The what? And the thing is, it's actually pretty good. Not gonna lie. Uh, this is based on the first two Shopaholic books, Confessions of a Shopaholic and Shopaholic in Manhattan, written by Sophie Kinsella, which is in itself a nom de plume. Because Sophie Kinsella's real name is Madeline Wickham. In case you didn't know. She has written books under both names, but Sophie Kinsella is the more popular, clearly, of the names. It's kind of like the JK Rowling, you know, route. It's like, I'm gonna write Harry Potter, and then I'm gonna write this little book that no one buys. And when no one buys it, then I'm going to say, oh, by the way, I'm this person too. Um, <laughs> Isla Fisher, as Rebecca Bloomwood, was nominated at the Choice Movie Awards that year for a Choice Movie Actress in a Comedy. She lost to Anne Hathaway, who was in Bride Wars that year. And the movie itself was nominated for Choice Movie Romance, lost to Twilight. You know, now that I think of it, I just want to throw in... Um and um, Anna Kendrick's name. I could see that. I think she would have been fun, mm-hmm. but they still made a great choice. Oh, Anna absolutely. Fisher, but um, I, I think I think she's just fun and quirky enough that she definitely could have added something to that. Now, according to Wikipedia, this film had a budget of $44 million, which apparently, according to you, is the budget of the wardrobe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Domestically, at the box office, according to IMDb, this film made that $44 million back, and then worldwide, it made $108 million. This film hit the theaters the weekend of Friday the 13th, 2009. And when it debuted, it debuted at number four, bringing in just over $15 million. The movie that debuted at number one was the remake of of Friday the 13th. Like that that's that's cheating. Like I I'm not saying, you know, like it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it lost to an Avengers movie or something like that. No, no, no. You release on Friday the 13th and they release a Friday the 13th movie on a Friday the 13th. That's cheating. I'm <laughs> I'm sorry Warner Brothers that was cheating. Like seriously. But it did debut behind at number 2. He's just not that into you. And at number three in its third week of Taken. And it was close, though. It was very, very close. But just to tell you how bad the rest of the week was. Number six in its fifth week was Paul Blart Mall Cop. And at number eight, The Pink Panther 2. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a great week at the box office. I mean, but that's the thing. It came out Valentine's Day weekend and lost to a freaking horror movie. How does that happen? Like, if you released it on Halloween and it lost to a horror movie, oh, okay. Who goes to a slasher horror flick on Valentine's Day weekend? Ah, but it's Valentine's Eve. So... And it's a Friday the 13th, and a Friday the 13th film is released in theaters. That's like saying you're releasing 27 dresses on Devil's Night. No, it's not. (laughs) For reals, right? Like, you would think think at least it debuted at, like, number two, maybe, but 15 million. 15 million. It's it's not bad. It's like a Halloween uh, flick on Halloween. Yeah, I mean, that's cheating. That's right. That's literally, you know using the, as our kids would say, the Uno reverse card on that one. It's like, you want to debut number one? I don't think so. Um, the critics, however, had their say on this one. Over at Metacritic, this has a meta score of 38. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score sits at 
10%. But the tomatometer. The reason why we are here talking about Confessions of a Shopaholic is because this movie sits at 27% tomatometer. You're shaking your head. The critics are so mean. You know what? It's not the movie that's not that bad. It's the critics that are bad. Bad critics, bad. This doesn't suck, they suck. Right? Right? Seriously. <laughs> well, let's figure out why the critics maybe- Where's their haha? There is actually quite a bit of haha. For a rom-com, there is quite a bit of haha in this, but let's do the breakdown here. And we have to start with Rebecca Bloomwood herself, Isla Fisher. And I like the fact that there was actually quite a list of potentials who could have been Rebecca Bloomwood, but how was Isla Fisher in the title role for you? Oh, she was so great. You know what? When you read um, a novel, and especially a novel that has um, like sequels or, or, you know, further releases. Yeah, it's like, like, like a full franchise. Yeah. Shopaholic. Shopaholic gets married. Shopaholic and baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shopaholic in Manhattan. Love it. Which you would think, you know, the fact that it debuted on the same weekend as a Friday the 13th, which should have been like the seventh book. <laughs> the Shopaholic takes Manhattan. Right. Shopaholic in space. <laughs> oh my God. But you know what though? To answer your question, she was perfect. She was quirky, but still quite smart. Um, and you know what? I, I loved the... Um, I love the scene where <laughs> she started to Google about writing a convincing article. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> did you just Google that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Did you just Google interesting angles about yeah. APRs? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like leading up to this film, you know, before it's released, my to my to my memory, my only knowledge of Isla Fisher's acting work leading up to Confessions of a Shopaholic was her role in Wedding Crashers. And, you know, she was fun in that, but, I mean, that is... I mean, that's a Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson movie. And, you know, the, the comedy's a heck of a lot raunchier in that film than it is in here. Here, and it's interesting that you mentioned Anna Kendrick, because Anna Kendrick and Isla Fisher both have really, really great comedic sense, right? Like... A combination of physical comedy and and really really good comedic timing and you know fast paced you know funny quirky delivery, but there was something about Isla Fisher's Rebecca Bloomwood in that get past all of the you know the slapstickness of some of the of some of the beats like the the dance scene fans to the faces and the you know the for lack of a better term wardrobe malfunctions with the you know, with the saving the, the the falling woman in the bathroom there. And like, there's a lot of decent, you know, pratfall type comedy. But she actually brought quite uh, a realism to Rebecca Bloomwood. I mean, she is an, an, an oniomaniac, right? She is, she is a shopaholic, right? And she knows she has a problem. And she knows that she needs to stop. And her friends are telling her that she's got to stop. And... She is quite the opposite of her, you know, penny pinching, you know, sitting on furniture that has lasted 30, 40 years parents. Um, but oh my God, was that not a perfect pairing? Oh, oh, we're going to, we're going to get to them in a bit, <laughs> but, but yes, truly, truly and honestly, um, she knows she's got to stop and she, and she's too either proud She's both. It's an addiction. She's proud and embarrassed, or too proud and embarrassed to ask for help and to admit that she doesn't know how to stop. Like, you know, and that shows. And not and not in a poking fun of it kind of way. You know, it's not like she's like sitting there, you know, on the floor where they're cross-legged in the middle of the kitchen looking at her credit cards and going, why do you hate me? No, it's, there's some real deep emotions that she's portraying. Like there's a lot more depth in this than a rom-com generally deserves. Okay. But there was that scene after the sample sale where she got into a fight over a pair of boots and then you see her with bags mm -hmm. of items that she came home with. So at that point, that is very much the, you know, staring at your bank statement and going, 
how did this happen? But she's surrounded mm. by items and stuff. But, and I think that was pivotal. But even that scene, right? It yes, the 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 shop incident that happened or, or uh yeah, I'm using the word shop incident now. <laughs> that, you're gonna start I using like that. that word. Every time you hit the dollar store, you're gonna come back with seven bags going, I had a shop incident. <laughs> oh. But but it was very understated and very subtle. Right. It's just a a slow camera push in as she's surrounded by all this stuff. And, you know, the moment really is sold to her getting the text message saying, where's my outline for the story uh, from Luke? But you can see that there's just this remorse of like, what have I done? Right. She She's like the serial killer standing in the middle of the, the room full of you know bloodied bodies that she just slaughtered. But instead of a horror film, it's it's a shop shopaholic movie. You can't um, get over that Friday the Thirteenth. I will. Can I will. You? you know what? Damn you, Jason, <laughs> for taking this moment away from Rebecca Bloomwood. But that being said, if Jason was wearing sensible shoes, Rebecca Bloomwood would totally slay him. Those were not sensible shoes she was wearing. Oh my god! <laughs> I was watching the dance scene, and I'm like. If she falls off of those platform heels, it's going to hurt. Shoes so tall, she, will she, break prob- an ankle. she probably needed a stunt double. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But I mean, but that's the interesting thing, is that the strength of a rom-com is... You know, can be pointed in the chemistry between the couple, um, the the rapid fire comediness of it, but also how you feel for the main character, right? So, you know, looking at this, how did you feel for Rebecca as played by Isla Fisher? Oh my God! Like, oh, she's my soul sister. <laughs> I want to go shopping with her. Like, really. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you ever say I'm going shopping with a veritable Rebecca Bloomwood, I am going to take your credit cards and I am going to put them in a you know tub full of, full of water, put it in the freezer, and then watch you try to break them free. 
Like you, the, I, I ain't going down without a fight here on this they'll, one. They'll melt by the time I get downtown. It's all good. You would walk downtown with a credit card and a block full of ice waiting, biding your time. <laughs> you're going to get to the store, put the block of ice saying, I'll be back in 20 minutes. You know, like seriously. <laughs> Yorkdale, baby. Oh. <laughs> I, I fear, <laughs> I fear for our credit rating. <laughs> not, not our podcast rating, I fear for our credit rating. Uh, let's move on to Kristen Ritter, who played Suze, the best friend. Um, you know, it's funny. You mentioned Anna Kendrick taking the role of Rebecca Bloomwood. I could have seen Anna Kendrick take on this role. But that being said, Kristen Ritter brought, let, let me let me put something out here. One of my most favorite sitcoms of probably the last decade is Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. And she was fun as hell in that. And she brought a lot of those Chloe vibes from that show into this. But but rather than being the alcoholic danger to herself and everyone else around her, she's uh, almost like the manic voice of reason in this. But how was, how was Sue's for you? Oh my God. I loved, I loved her. I loved that. I loved that they didn't make her the kind of angry, bitter, spiteful, kind of like cynical character from her Chloe character in Don't Trust yeah, the she, Bee. She's not she, Chloe, but she's fun like Chloe. She is not like, oh my God, she's so fun and colorful. And I absolutely loved that. It's it's funny because you can kind of almost see her as, I don't know if there's almost kind of like a silent envy that, um, I, I don't know, like that Rebecca gets to go out and do these things and shop and have all the nice things, but yet she's just so quirky and just loves color. And um, I think she's a real free spirit. Like mm-hmm. she's just so... She's so cool and she very much is, um, she's so, um, she is so smart, I think. Like, she is the voice of reason mm-hmm. and trying to watch out and and keep, you know, her roommate out of trouble. And I mean, obviously too, right? Like, how is it that Rebecca's making rent to live with her if she's like so far in debt. Well, okay, let me ask a question here because you've read the books, at, le- at least a few of them, right? Um, because it was never really addressed or at least I maybe I didn't pick up something in the movie here. What the f*** does Suze do for a living? Because we know, I mean, Rebecca's a writer and even though she's not making much money because she's working for this small little publication, she's a writer, we get that. What does Suze do? Aside from get ready to get married, what does she do? Oh, God. It, okay. It has been years since I have read the book, I have to admit. And um, and you know what? Um, I, I, I binge read it. So I do not have the answer to that. Because, I, I mean, because he, here's the thing, like, first of all, rent in New York's got to be all about a bitch. Not going to lie there. Um, but the the interesting thing is, even though that, you know, Suze is bubbly and smart, like you said, um, and you can tell that there's a longstanding friendship between Suze and Rebecca, it's, it's almost like you could you could see them going in different directions because Suze is engaged. You know, she gets engaged. It's announced in the movie kind of thing. Um, and then a lot of Suze's arc is that she's planning for her wedding and trying to make sure that Rebecca can handle being the maid of honor, can handle walking down the aisle with her and not getting herself thrown into financial jail because of this. Like there, there is, it's interesting. Like that, the, the whole drunken tequila totaling up your credit card bills thing. Um, that's a that's a friend going down that extra row to help her friend out. But I think that's the thing is when they get to the scene where um, Suze realizes that uh, Rebecca doesn't have her bridesmaid dress because you have to think that Suze probably helped pay for that dress because she knows that Rebecca's you know, stuck in a rut with, with zero money to, to, to deal with it. Right. That's, that's, that's a bit of a, you know, 
there, there's some emotion in there. Like, because we don't see Suze get mad at Rebecca ever, despite the fact that Suze is the one that helps Rebecca get to Shopaholics Anonymous. Suze is the one that's trying to get her to get her together, basically. So when she's Suze, a friend, I don't think she's just a roommate. She's like, oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. It definitely. feels like there's a long term friendship there. But when Suze is standing in the in the stairwell, and you know Rebecca's trying to explain how some homeless woman is wearing uh, the bridesmaid's dress, and she's sitting there and just you know, explain like it, it's it is because of her bubbliness throughout the entirety of the movie. That scene hits even harder. Well, it's also her wedding day, right? She's like, she does not want her special day ruined, yet she loves her best friend. So Mm -hmm. she also doesn't want to ruin that relationship and do anything to sever those ties. Yeah. And the fact that that Suze never loses her ish or gets super serious, like, like she's, there's never that moment prior to that it's like you know you have to change your ways you have to change your ways or you're out of the wedding like none of that but you have to wonder because of this the the rawness of that moment just how long that's been bottling up inside Sue's for a while because you have to think the way Rebecca shops how many lunches has Sue's paid for you know how many bills has Sue's picked up for uh for Rebecca it's just that one moment and that this is a total credit to Kristen Ritter's performance in that moment. Um, you have to think that, that moment is building up. But let's move on to Luke Brandon. It's played by Hugh Dancy. Look, first things first. If you like movies, please do yourself a favor and do not go over to Netflix and watch The Attack of the Hollywood Clichés. Because let's be honest... Hugh Dancy as Luke Brandon is the walking, talking cliche of the British meat cute, right? But I mean, I got my thoughts on him. But what were your thoughts of Luke Brandon in this? Um, from what I recall from the book, I kind of found that he was. I I, I don't know exactly what the word would be, but he he was kind of a jerk. He wasn't. Um, like it was an interesting angle that he came from money and yet he was trying to downplay, mm-hmm. um, his wealth and, um, but I mean, just the scene where he was almost kind of leading the two women along, um, including Rebecca. And he was like, you know, she's my girlfriend, but she's not you. And I'm like, okay, that's not no, what no, I recall. No, she, she's not my girlfriend. She, she's not you. She's not my, okay, right. But but yet he's still stringing both of them along, or at least he's um, like- Well, you have to think that Alicia is really making a play for Luke because she probably knows you know Luke's background, Luke's family, Luke's wealth and all that kind of stuff. Plus, she also realizes that he's an editor of one of the magazines. And even though she's working at Olette, um, you know, the, 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 this. OK, let's let's talk about Alicia before we, we continue on with Luke here, because the, this this is important. Pivot. 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 <laughs> As played by Leslie Bibb, uh, Bib, which I think Elizabeth. I'm I'm loose. I'm, my tongue is tied. <laughs> take two. So, take take seven. Leslie Bibb playing Alicia Billington. I'm going to go very slowly Save now. Save that five times fast. <laughs> Let me drink another sip and then I'll try. So the thing with Alicia is, you know, her character is pretty much boiled down to leggy blonde um, who gets the job when Rebecca should. All we know is that, Ali- is that Alicia got the job, right? Over, like, as an internal hire kind of thing, as an internal boost, which most umbrella companies like that would prefer to you know hire from within and then fill those lower ranks with newer hires to to fill the ranks but the the implication is that alicia isn't as good a writer as rebecca is when rebecca is you know writing from her heart but i don't think alicia's uselessness in that position was really you know 
portrayed well. All we saw was a corporate social climber in her trying to, um, you know, curry favor with Luke. But I think it would have been more effective. And, and again, this is nothing on Leslie Bibb. This is absolutely nothing on Leslie Bibb. This is in the filling out of the character, as far as Alicia goes. Did she actually deserve the job, or was she a worse writer than Rebecca? And I wish a little bit more of that had been explored. Again, I think you were absolutely right that she was a social climber. Like, And, and the company was set up that way. There were no... Um, like no misunderstanding there it was i mean that's how it was sold it's like it's a family company and once you're in you're in yeah right um again she was very much um you know a schmoozer like she yeah clearly whizzled herself into the position um who knows what role she was coming from that yeah you know it's 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 she was promoted beyond her abilities, clearly. Um, but I wish they'd explore that a bit more because it would have explained the motivation behind Alicia trying to use Luke as a way to stay relevant in the company. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I really don't think that she needed to be explored. I don't think... I think it was just kind of like any... Like, it was just a character that was kind of thrown in as an obstacle, for Rebecca and Luke's relationship. And that was it. And, you know, a, a roadblock in Rebecca getting her dream job. So she landed in the financial mm-hmm. magazine. So even, even something as simple as seeing Alicia's reaction to um, the success of the, you know, the girl in the green scarf article. Cause I mean, let's be honest, like part of, part of that, you know, Rebecca's rise in, you know, in the, you know, uh, Money Sensibilities magazine. I can't remember the title of it kind of thing. But the fact that that article got the attention of the higher ups, like the John Lithgow's of of the company, um, it would have been interesting to see Alicia's reaction to that as opposed to just, hey, this article's doing well. Then all of a sudden, you know, tall, leggy blonde starts to hit on the British meat cute. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just needed a longer. I could see how that could be explored more if this were a series, but in an hour and a half movie, I guess you have to pick your battles here. But let's get back to Luke Brandon here. Um, aside from being a walking cliche, British meet cute, or you know, discount Hugh Grant. Let's call. Let's call it. <laughs> I, was, like, I was thinking that, but I'm like Hugh Grant would be a bit old. So. He would be a bit old, but this would be a much younger, yeah, uh, like four weddings and a funeral era Hugh Grant. So you know, <laughs> modern discount Hugh Grant that Hugh Dancy is right. Even got the first name right, so we're good there. But the fact that he came from money and eventually starts to go out and want to do his own thing without relying on that money. And that adds a little bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, a bit extra quality to his character, a bit, a bit more of a, you know, a nobility mm-hmm. to, to his eventual rise in getting this communications company up. And I like the fact when he's sitting there in the bank trying to get the, the loan he uses Rebecca's words like, am I a good investment? Right? Because that is, that's kind of what it is. Although that being said, Hugh Dancy had my favorite look of the whole movie when he's literally dying inside while in the middle of a store while someone is trying to pick out clothes for him. I felt that. <laughs> Hugh Dancy, I felt that. <laughs> I, I I was Luke Brandon in that moment. But I mean, all in all, right, Is is he... An effective Luke Brandon for for you, or would you recast him? I wouldn't recast him. I think he was he was great, um, but I think the portrayal of the character was kind of had him a little bit um, cold. Mm. Whereas you know, I think from what I remember, um, I thought their their love was a little bit more 
instant and mutual. You know what I mean? Like it just, um, I don't know. I, maybe it was just for, you know, the sake of the movie and to kind of give it a bit more of, um, kind of keep the audience guessing when yeah. you kind of know <laughs> from reading the books, you know, well, there's a shopaholic and, uh, gets married and baby. So, you know, <laughs> they have to wind up together. Exactly. Um, Sequels, so like, maybe not so much, but you know, <laughs> although that being said, it, occasionally and i have to admit this here occasionally when i watch a movie and i see a scene um we proved in the monkey bone episode that i have the mind of a 13 year old boy um so there's the moment where you know rebecca's trying to get the 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 hot dog vendor to you know do cash back on a personal check and you know he ends up buying you know the hot dog and giving her 20 bucks i'm like how do you, how do you sit there and go, hey, here's twenty bucks. Can I buy you a wiener? Like seriously, you're just sitting there shaking your head now, going, <laughs> I have married a juvenile man. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> right, right now, there's like one person listening to this, going, I feel you, dog. That would be a horrible pickup line. Here's twenty bucks. Can I buy you a wiener? <laughs> I'm going to remind you at this point in time that you married me. You, <laughs> so that's you what, chose this life. Those are the thoughts that were inside your head every like street meet date. Really? <laughs> hey, I got 20 hey. bucks. Can I buy you a wiener? And <laughs> depending on where the hot dog vendor was, you know, it might have been 20 bucks a dog. So. Yeah, and so long as it's not in New York near the guy with the Star Wars bed sheet saying, I got 20 bucks. You want my wiener? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Remember that hot dog shop? In New York? I do. It was okay. It was it, it was a little overrated, I think. It, it was it, it was long and, and flavorless. <laughs> Sad dog. And, and, uh, and on that long and flavorless note, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> uh, I am so sorry to anyone who actually likes this movie, this book, or this writer uh, for my 13-year-old brain stepping in and joining into the conversation. Joan Cusack and John Goodman as Rebecca's parents. I'm just going to hand the microphone over to you because I know you love them. <laughs> oh my God, I love, I loved them as a couple. I love them as uh, Rebecca's parents. I loved their, it was just so um, beautifully, oh, I, it, there's there's a word and, and it was just so nice to watch, right? Mm-hmm. All of the, the scenes, like you can just tell those parents had their daughters back, whether she was right or wrong, or you know, thousands of dollars in debt, and based on her advice, unknowingly, but based on her advice, they you know spent their life savings and got a like, giant Winnebago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it was just so. It was so nice to see. Can, can I just point out here, first of all, Joan Cusack and John Goodman, um, both absolute gems. Literally everything they do, if, you, if they're on the screen, you know those roles are going to be treated very, very well because they are two, both of them, phenomenal actors. But there's the scene where they're walking around the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the flea market and Joan's like all, you know, like happy, like, like literally in in all her glory because she knows that anything that sparks her interest she can afford kind of thing and i'm like oh my god it's you in a dollar store (laughs) (laughs) i could buy this entire store yeah or at least this entire aisle not anymore it's expensive now it's like yeah five bucks it's it's the multiple dollar store Uh. well (laughs) i i have a feeling up here in canada because we no longer have paper ones and paper twos they're just like well The only dollar we really have is the five. So let's make everything five bucks. So to be fair, though, they're the quality of the oh, product yeah. has gone up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you're getting actual real brand name spam, whereas before you're, you you have your take your chances looks like meat in a can. Yeah. Well, I mean, tons of Disney stuff, right? Because yeah. I think they're buying it off of it like wholesale Disney kind of thing. franchise that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, back, back of a truck Disney. <laughs> but, but I mean, maybe it's just me. I mean, first of all, Joan Cusack is great. She is. But John Goodman, 
tell me John Goodman isn't everyone's dad oh. in every movie that he's in. I, you know what? He is he is the quintessential dad character. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if he's adopting. Like, <laughs> I would put my 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 uh, resume in for sure. Now, now that being said, I have not watched Ten Cloverfield Lane, and I'd be afraid Ooh. of what Dad was going to do there. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's almost like the Wilford Brimley uh, rule, right? Yeah. Wilford Brimley was everyone's grandfather. Right. No matter what role Wilford Brimley was in, you know, when he got to like cocoon age, he literally was everyone's grandfather. John Goodman is everyone's dad. Um, he's just such a treat. Now Robert De Niro is like the creepy, you know, not creepy grandfather, but the dirty grandfather. Uh, he is the get off my lawn or I'll beat you with a golf club grandfather. <laughs> okay. Um, some minor characters here. Kristen Scott Thomas as Alette Naylor, uh, the owner of Alette, the magazine mm-hmm. that she wants to work for. Smaller, 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 <laughs> petite. Uh, your thoughts on her? She was great. She was fun. Um, and you know what? What um, what a pivotal scene too. Like you could really um see Rebecca's um. <sighs> She put her passion mm-hmm. for writing over, over you know, just taking any offer, right? I think she really wanted to keep the job that she was in. and Yeah. Now, I do know that um, she has gone on record saying she actually did not have a good time filming this because, as she put it, you just sit around and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Um, and she's like, you know, I, not that I've been asked back for a sequel, but, you know. <laughs> so, it, it is interesting that... Like, she actually was quite good in this, despite apparently not having the best of time on sets, according to IMDb. Um, but she had such a small role. It, it was a small And that's why I haven't really brought up John Lithgow, because he's barely in it. Oh, but he was so good. Okay, okay but every now and then, and I'm sorry, John Lithgow, as much as I think you are a phenomenal actor, um, I cannot see you in anything now without thinking the Trinity Killer from Dexter. I'm sorry, no matter how, <laughs> how pleasant and lovely your role may be, um, pretty darn skippy, you're going to stab me. I <laughs> I want to go back and watch uh, Third Rock. Uh, Third Rock might make it better. Dexter season four will make it much, much worse. Uh, Robert Stanton is Derek Smith. <laughs> it was funny. It mm-hmm. was that scene where he finally uh, uh, was on the, the TV talk show. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm the ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. The more you think about yeah. it, the funnier it gets. Yeah. yeah. But th- so self-aware. But there's, I can see why they wanted Ed Helms for that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm actually happier that it wasn't him because that exact joke, that exact line that you said, I think makes more sense coming from Robert Stanton. Like Ed Helms, He's probably going to, if Ed Helms ever hears this podcast, he's about to record this next part of making his his ringtone. Ed Helms is too handsome a man for that line. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely you're, right. You're, you're welcome, Ed it, Helms. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I think there was, there was something um, perfectly creepy about Robert Stanton's uh, portrayal of, of Derek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have to say, this might have been my biggest smile as far as an on-screen character goes, but Julie Haggerty as the assistant to the the Smart Money magazine, uh, the one that's constantly... First of all, Julie Haggerty is an absolute gem. Loved her ever since Airplane. So to see her in this role, and it's it's funny, like she's almost as motherly as Joan Cusack is to Rebecca, and I think she's also as caretaking to Luke as, as she is to Rebecca. I mean, which made her the absolute perfect choice for the assistant. Because mm-hmm. you can tell that she really, she was more than just the office assistant. She really took care of the staff. Like, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and really cared for each one of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the way that she was supporting uh, Rebecca when she spun the tall tale about Derek's my like a stalker ex-boyfriend and mm-hmm. okay so we're not going to accept any more calls from him and oh it's okay honey like we'll make sure that you know mm-hmm. you're safe here you know it's just like every brilliant. office 
needs a Julie Haggerty in their office to yes. take care of pretty much everyone in it. And it just reminds you of, of just how good she is as an actress. Like in Airplane, like she comes across as so sweet and and so lovely and yet has some of the funniest moments in in that film and in a, in a Zucker Abrams Zucker production there's lots of laughs to be had you have to think that Leslie Nielsen's going to take a lot of them but holy crap Julie Haggerty funny as hell loved her in this um a couple things I want to point out here the mannequins a this was a, this was a cool idea like how the mannequins were coming to life and trying to act as purse pushers towards Rebecca which is a true thing. Mm-hmm. It, it happens. They the, talk to you. Well, we're, we got more. <laughs> we got bigger problems than you shopping. If that's the case, but and and this 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 probably goes towards my preferences in like the shows and movies that I like to watch. But did it not feel like a Doctor Who Christmas special with the mannequins coming to life and trying to push things on her? <laughs> no. <laughs> but now that you think about it, no, because okay, I mean. You know what, all joking aside, when you are out shopping, right, and you see these mannequins beautifully dressed or they deliberately put probably the most expensive handbag in their store, Mm -hmm. you know, like just going perfectly with this outfit and then you stop and you're like, that is a really well put together outfit. I have to have it and that bag, (laughs) you know, like they don't actually talk to you. I don't actually have conversations or hear mm-hmm. voices, mm-hmm. Um, but they might as <laughs> they might as well be holding a sign that says, "Look here, dummy, you want this outfit and the bag. <laughs> Buy this purse, you'll feel so good." Exactly. But the mannequins were much more effective than the you know rando in New York with the Star Wars bed sheet. <laughs> um, but for the record, by the way, and it's no secret that I'm a Star Wars fan, dude would not sell us the Star Wars bed sheet. I'm sorry, but he didn't. I would not let you bring <laughs> that home. <laughs> It's like walk around New York with a Star Wars bed sheet held out by a pair of chopsticks because you don't want to touch it. I'm going to wash it. I'm going to wash it seven times before we go home. Burn it. Uh, now, uh, one of the biggest things about this movie is, and this might have actually affected the critic score in this one, is you have to think about the time that it's that it's released. Not the fact that it's released on Friday the 13th. Damn you, Jason. Um, but 2009 is smack dab in the middle of the recession. And you have to think that a movie about someone who gets herself into trouble by buying all these, you know, straight up high end brand name, top of the line mannequin got, you know, pushed it on her kind of thing. Like there's a lot of money and a lot of people probably feeling the penny pinch of the actual real life recession. Do you think that may have played into the critic score in, in, them thinking that it's not necessarily the best socioeconomic time to put a movie out like this. Fascinating. Now that I think of it, I'm waiting for the sequel. IPs and sequels. (laughs) Okay. But since you're talking sequel then, um, would you rather have a shopaholic sequel still with Isla Fisher or would you rather have an Isla Fisher led series um i think what i would like is like a combination i'm probably a sequel or a a series i think a series would be best because then you can um incorporate because there are so many so many books now Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually looking at it and there's a few books that I actually don't own. Um, I'm working on it. So (laughs) I'm I'm just waiting to find the bookstore with the mannequins holding the book going, she really wants this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit behind. Um, And again, haven't read them in years, years, years. However, um, I think a series where they can touch on, you know, the, the wedding and then the baby. And then I think there's shopaholic in Manhattan. And then there was, um, dreams of a shopaholic or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. There, there are, and shopaholic and sister. Yeah. Right. So she like, there's just so many stories and they're all so incredibly fun. Um, 
And yeah, I think Isla Fisher would be fantastic to continue the role. I was going to say, still to this day, I I don't even think Isla Fisher has really changed over the years. Like she still looks exactly the freaking same. So yeah, I would be disappointed if they changed the character, if it were a series. Mm. Like, you know how they do that? And it's like, no, I, I just can't. I can't see it the same way. Yeah, like I, I could, I could very much see like if, uh, you know, like a Netflix picked this up and all that, and they, but they wanted to start from the beginning of the story rather than pick up where the movie left off. Like they would probably hire someone like a Sadie Sink to take over the role and start fresh. But that being said, Isla Fisher is still solid as an actress still looks pretty much exactly the same as she did in this film and that film is now 13 years old so clearly she's drinking the jennifer aniston paul rudd elixir of youth um oh the evian water yeah yeah, pretty much that i thought it was the fiji water (laughs) ah no i thought jennifer aniston was the evian Zendaya is pushing water too so like everyone's drinking the elixir of youth apparently it's water yeah turn on the tap but you know here's the secret there's water in beer and coffee so (laughs) (laughs) and those two don't make me want to you know buy all the things so that's good I'll just I'll just sit at home have my coffee have my beer and not buy lots of things I drink the water because I buy the things (laughs) I can't afford the beer (laughs) I I drink the beer when you do buy the things (laughs) I buy you the beer when I buy the things (laughs) that's that's when I don't notice the things that you buy because you bought me the beer and I said I'm good for the night (laughs) it's all good circular Uh, logic the circle of life (laughs) you know I'll just hold up my beer like it's simple Okay. <laughs> Note to self, next time you buy a purse, fill it full of beer. Yeah, exactly. If there's a product. notice the purse. She's got a Prada bag in one hand and a six pack in the other. We're good to go. Uh, yes. <laughs> Twitter has spoken on this one. Uh, big shout out to the Hit List podcast for chiming in with this. Uh, I'm not a fan of rom-com films, but this and Hitch are my favorites. Um and I, I don't really have a problem with this rom-com. I, I'm not a big, I'm not the biggest fan of Hitch. I'm not going to lie, but let me put this to you. How does this sit in the pantheon of rom-com films for you? I mean, I loved it, but I'm also very biased because I love the story. Mm-hmm. Um, on its own, if I had just seen this as a movie, I would, I would be thrilled, you know? Um, I, I mean, I thought it was great. I I think, I don't know. The only downfall that I see is, again, the um, just the, the buildup of their relationship. Like, I think... A little rushed? They, they made it... No, like, they made it almost a little bit more challenged than it needed to be yeah. by adding in... $20 wieners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't let it go. Couldn't let it go. Um, I mean, we, we've said on this podcast, like for, I know at least for myself, America's Sweethearts is kind of up there when it comes to the rom-coms. And I'm not exactly the biggest rom-com guy. I don't know if Confessions holds a holds a candle to a movie like a When Harry Met Sally, but it, it's a fun film. It's, it's way better than a 27% film. Like, honestly, I could see this sitting around a 60%. Like, it's 60 to 65. I, I think you can overlook, like, any flaws that are there are very, very minimal. I do wonder if it's one of those things where, again, much like One for the Money, which you didn't even know existed until we started to do this podcast, um, if it's one of those things where it's catered not necessarily to the rom-com audience, but to the literally the Sophie Kinsella audience. Could very well be. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, what was the audience score again? The audience score was 49. It's still low, though. Very low, which, which surprises me. That's why I wonder if the weight of the recession uh, affected the original critic scores. It, it's a possibility. Um, because there, there, there's there a, a, a bit of a disconnect. Like, yes, you can easily see someone getting themselves into a bit of a financial trouble because they like to buy the shiny, pretty things. Um, I'm feeling very attacked at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily you buy yourself a dollar store. Um, but the interesting thing is that 
given her potential credit rating at that point, who the hell is going to give her her 10th, 11th, and 12th credit card by this point? Like, that's a... That's a little bit of unrealism. I, I recognize it's for comedy effect kind of thing, but you know, it's there's a lot of irresponsibility in her buying. Um, it's fun, it's quirky, it's great, but you can see someone who may have gotten into themselves into financial trouble can't just you know sell their goods out of that trouble. So, but how brilliant was that to have a uh, an auction? Uh, yeah. Like but the thing is, sale. she doesn't make that much money unless she is the girl in the green scarf, right? Her one article got her $16,000, basically. Uh, I think, what, the final bid was three hundred, but... On the scarf, yes, but her, the overall take for the auction and the sale was $16,000. Mm-hmm. Which, for the record, though, I would I do have to say, if you ever owe a big chunk of money and, and the collection agency is being a pain in the ass... You get every penny you can, put it in a jar, and you bring it to them. You That's- are not touching my bags. <laughs> you are not selling. No. <laughs> no, but I will do my best to fill that giant cheese ball tub, <laughs> that empty tub that held cheese balls filled with coins. And then we'll go shopping. We'll shop with that, and that'll be fine. <laughs> okay, so it is time to put it all on the line. So, Carrie, who is your MVP of 2009's Confessions of a Shopaholic? Oh, so many to choose from, so many choices. Um, no, you're picking an MVP. You're not shopping. <laughs> hmm. Can I hear yours first? Absolutely. All right. I have I have zero problems with this one. And as much as Julie Haggerty is an absolute sweetheart in this, this is one of the few times where I have to go with the, you know, the lead actress. Because Isla Fisher, this movie is nowhere near as good as it is if she isn't charming, vulnerable, sweet, funny like the whole works like isla fisher if the if the ratings on it weren't so bad this would have had sequels i i, I honestly believe that's the case because the source material is there she's perfect in the role it's fun as hell isla fisher made this movie as good as it is and if it wasn't her it wouldn't have made the money back that's my own personal take on this. But what are your thoughts? All right. Um, I agree with you. Um, I'm also going to give props to, uh, can I do a 50-50 split on the parents? <laughs> it's a two-for-one sale. Go jo- ahead. Yeah, John Goodman and... Um, oh, you want a three-for-one sale. What? No. Two th- parents? There are two parents. Yes. Joan Cusack and John Goodman. <laughs> I don't know about a... Who would be the third? I guess maybe Julie Haggerty. Pseudo mom, work mom. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, uh, you know what? Again, I think they were absolutely so incredibly sincere and definitely had her back, even even though she was in a great amount of debt. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was very sweet. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give props to John Goodman too, like just to see him kick back in his lounge chair and <laughs> that goes back way too far on. yeah <laughs> and and you know that furniture is falling apart because they haven't touched it in years and oh god like when um when rebecca was on tv and he called joan cusack into the t- into the room and he was just like you could tell she was so used to just like kind of yes dear what do you want dear can i get you something dear can i crack you open a beer dear like <laughs> and then <laughs> so she comes running in she's like what <laughs> it was so good i i have to say joan cusack and john goodman may be the most realistic set of parents oh. in any rom-com they were delightful they they were so charming and mm-hmm. yeah like you could just you could just tell like rebecca had a fantastic support system mm-hmm. between her parents and Suze, Susie, Suze, Suze, yeah. yeah, her her roommate. Um, so, and you know, inevitably, right, Luke, right, when they fell in love, eh. yeah, yeah. I again, 
Joan Cusack, John Goodman, um, Rebecca did have the best parents. I, I will absolutely agree. Uh, it doesn't change my MVP from Isla Fisher, but, you know, really good performances all around. Uh, Carrie, thank you for this. Uh, I know you enjoyed watching this movie. Uh, maybe next time we'll sneak a sci-fi film in. You know, just, just, just saying. Just saying. Maybe. Just maybe. Um, but it was a fun film totally fun uh and to you our listeners thank you so much for listening to this episode of it's not that bad now you guys know the drill if there is a movie out there that is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad that there's no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it um hit us up on twitter at not that bad cast and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the good things because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Thank you so much once again. I'm Jay. She's Carrie. Lovely as always. To you, our listeners, yeah, you're lovely too. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Happy shopping. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.